greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome back to The Arcade. We are your video game podcast here, back with you for a very special episode of the program. We thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. I am Mike the Legend, who's one half of the tag team that will be here rocking this very special episode of The Arcade. As I said, as you may or may not be aware, if you aren't aware, we will inform you, but good chance all of you out there are aware of the fact that this is a very big week in the world of video games. It is the launch week of not one, but two major platforms, both the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, which that name is still tripping me up. I have to be very conscious in what I call it, for it's not the One X, it's the Series X. That's going to take some time to get used to, but we have a very special preview episode here on the arcade for you this week, and its uh, I think it's going to be a good one. Yes, and uh, as you said, this program is always a tag team, a two-person job, generally. A duo. A duo, as it were, yes. Uh, this week, I'm Dennis, the man who is considering buying both a PlayStation 5 and an Xbox Series X in an attempt to quell the constant existential dread 2020 hath wrought. <laughs> Uh, thinking of engaging in some good old-fashioned retail therapy. Ah, uh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Such is the existential dread that not just one system will suffice, perhaps both. Perhaps both. Yeah, perhaps both. Maybe spending a thousand dollars will help. At minimum. <laughs> At minimum. <laughs> good God. Because that's the damage 2020 has done. It's oh, done a number on all of us. Don't worry, you're not alone in that. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's been a year, but hey, good news, folks. There's only about uh, six, seven weeks left in the year. So once we make it through, all right, 2020, whoo, sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, another one in the books. Now we're moving on. <laughs> Let's put that chapter behind us. And uh, all right, what, what do we got? What's on the docket in 2021? We'll yes. Deal with that when we get there. We. We have to get there first, and the road to getting to there is through here. It is the week, the launch week of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, perhaps you have pre-orders. You managed to snag one. There were problems earlier uh, this year once the, I think both Sony and PlayStation had their pre-orders go live. Uh, but... If you do manage to snag one, specifically an Xbox Series X, you'll be just getting your regular run-of-the-mill Xbox Series X that looks like a vertical ashtray, uh, looks like it could be a doorstopper. I mean, we've critiqued and maligned the uh, industrial design of both of these platforms previously, and we'll do so at various points throughout this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. If We will call it any sort of uh, condescending names, and for the PlayStation 5 as well. Yeah, I mean, like, that definitely looks like it's like a big pop collar or like a Corella DeVille outfit or something like that. Like, it, it looks like, like, whereas the Xbox Series X, like, to some people looks like a refrigerator, which we'll, we'll, we'll loop back to in a second. Um, yeah, the PlayStation 5 is just as bad in several other different reasons and places. Like, it's, I'll put the caveat. I do appreciate that both Microsoft and PlayStation have taken some different liberties this time around and kind of like changed, you know, our expectation of what a video game console might look like. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's for the better. I mean, like, granted, yeah, I know, like, you you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, blah, blah, blah. All those, like, sports things, yeah, they're all all true, fine. But, you know... (laughs) 
Don't, don't know if, uh, I hit a home run this time around, is all. Yeah, I, I, that'll be judged in future, but these two designs for the Series X and the PlayStation 5 certainly do stand out from, uh, previous console generations. They are not a standard, slim, basic black boxes. The problem is, they stand out because the previous generations have, uh, video game systems have been very simple, straightforward, slim black boxes. Yep. Or white boxes in the case of Microsoft, but still slim, largely rectangular shaped boxes. Yeah. That can fit under your TV in the living room. Yeah, because generally most entertainment systems, shelving units intended for these types of things kind of have, well, space now earmarked for these things and kind of have had like similarly shaped boxes set up ever since the days of VCRs and DVD players and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's kind of standard heights for things like, you know, ranges there's a range, but there's kind of like a standard range. And now they're kind of throwing those standard ranges out the window, entirely out the window, entirely out the window. Uh, the thought occurred to me the other day when I was just uh, relooking at some images of the PlayStation five, uh, when oriented vertically, yes, it's still got that pop collar that looks like it's an evil scientist or whatnot. Uh, but I saw an image of it oriented horizontally. Thought occurred to me, looks like a scale model for some kind of futuristic spaceport. Yeah, that could be, or even like, you know, an alligator's teeth or something <laughs> like an alligator's mouth or some weird, like bird, some, cr- some crane perhaps, or yeah. like a, just a piece of printer paper folded in half, just bent in half. Yeah. Uh, or a book just put the wrong way on the shelf. Yeah. That too. Just, and then someone, bl- you know, some punk ass kid in school just bl- took a Sharpie and blacked out all the ex- edges of the paper. Yep. Or um, written, writing some nonsense on the paper as well. I'm sure some of us, most of us have done that at least once in our lives. You know, Slayer. Yeah, Slayer or uh, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Band of your choice or this person sucks some such thing or whatnot. So, you know, teenager hijinks and whatnot. Teenager nonsense, yep. Exactly. But, uh, you know, the many things that they look like, uh, one of the most prevailing thoughts in relation to the Xbox Series X was that upon its reveal of the design for the console is that it looked like a fridge. Yeah. A straight-up refrigerator. People look at it and go, ha, it's a big box. What What else is a big box? Well, refrigerators are big boxes. And Microsoft kind of took to that with a very light-hearted, kind of unexpected response, really, because they, um, <laughs> they did something, well, I said unexpected. I'm going to keep saying unexpected. I was not expecting them to respond the way they did in a ridiculous fashion. And the ridiculous fashion was they released a full production commercial of what appeared to be an actual Xbox branded refrigerator being unloaded from a truck by, you know, a pallet or by like a a forklift and all this stuff Mm -hmm. in a factory unloading it and everything. And of course, like the initial thought is like, wow, this is like a funny stage video. Obviously it's not a real fridge, but apparently it's a real fridge. It's absolutely a real fridge. It's not just a prop made up by some production design team in California. No, it's a real fridge, and it's a real fridge that is being offered as a prize. Now, unfortunately, we are coming to this story late, but uh, as the contest has already closed, it closed on November 4th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but nevertheless, it's still a fridge that Microsoft had produced, and 
it looks just like a scaled up version of the Xbox Series X in every way, shape, and form. And the handle is uh, just another part of the Xbox Series X. It uh, functions as a fridge. Now, I don't know what sort of capacity it has. I don't know if it's something you could actually use in your kitchen to replace your existing refrigerator, or perhaps this is something best left for a man cave, a she shed, uh, perhaps a cabin or something, but it's a real fridge. And I guess this is another way for Microsoft to try and uh, tout the design of the Xbox Series X, given that they have said all along the design of the Series X and the way it's looking with the uh, top and bottom grading is to really help promote cooling of the system and the hardware inside. And what better way to cool things than with a fridge? Right? Yeah. yeah. See it? Uh, see the parallel? So uh, Microsoft was giving away the, this Series X fridge uh, through a, uh, a contest on Twitter, I believe, through their official Xbox Twitter account. And so one lucky person will be receiving this fridge. However, however, actually, there is a second lucky person who did also receive this fridge, not as part of a contest, but perhaps because of the kind of clout that their name carries um, and the social media following they have. And frankly, because he did have a birthday recently, wherein he he just recently turned 49. And you might think that's a little bit old for a an Instagram influencer, isn't it? And you're right. He's not just an Instagram influencer, though. You might remember him at, you know, from the 90s, from the early 90s hip-hop scene. From the West Coast scene? Yeah, the West Coast scene specifically. Um, there's a guy who likes playing video games. I mean, a couple of the old, old hip-hop guys like playing video games, but one who's kind of more vocal about it than others is Snoop Dogg. He certainly is. Yes, and as I said, he did just recently celebrate a birthday. He's 49 now. Um, Happy which, belated birthday to him. Yes, um, Congratulations on making that far. Yeah, uh, considering the life he led in his earlier life, it's a it's a feat, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was given one of these Xbox Series X fridges, um, complete with a birthday cake, an Xbox themed birthday cake inside it, and all this other stuff. And he posted a video about it. And it's pretty ridiculous. It's, it, uh, I believe it was since deleted. I don't know if he was supposed to reveal it when he did. No. He may have jumped the gun on uh, the reveal of the Xbox Series X fridge. But still, it was ridiculous. There was a cake in there. Uh, I believe along the door, there were several bottles of juice. I believe orange juice. And also in the main body of the fridge was a bottle of gin. Yes. You know, gin and juice. A favorite drink of his? Yeah. Not sure if it includes any Indo, but that's... uh. I'm sure he knows how to get Indo elsewhere and wherever he is, that's legal anyways. So it's not even not even a controversial thing for me to say anymore. Nope, not really. So uh, Snoop Dogg has one. We don't know of any other people who perhaps uh, may have received one as a promotional effort on the part of Microsoft, but uh, Snoop Dogg is the only, only one to have posted about it. Perhaps there's an embargo and uh, they're not allowed to show it off until after the release of the Xbox Series X. Uh, if you know of anyone out there, certainly send along news of their Xbox Series X fridge-ness, fridge possession-ness, having-ness thing to us. Uh, you can uh, hit us through, hit us up through social media. We are on Twitter at the arcade show and on Facebook, facebook.com slash the arcade show. And that very stealthily concludes our two ludicrous leadoffs this week, which we took a different tact and did not 
just blatantly introduce them, because this is a bit of a different show. As I said off the top, it's a special episode. It's a special week here in the video game landscape. Rare is the occasion when uh, a new video game system is released. Even rarer is for two systems to be released in a span of two days. This hasn't really happened. I had to go back and check some historical release dates for uh, game machines here in North America. The closest time frame I could find between one console dropping and the other is about a week. And it's only been in recent incarnations, I think since uh, the era of the GameCube, PS2, and forward to current time, when game systems have released in the fall, closer and with an eye towards the holiday shopping season, the Christmas shopping season. Prior to that, they would kind of release any old time. March, April, August, whenever. Yeah, whenever. September. Just as long as it was sort of before the shopping season, because they needed the hype to be built up for the systems for the shopping season, for when people would possibly be buying systems, if not games for the systems. So, yeah. But now, um, I mean, this... This time, it's in line with that rule of before the shopping season. But they're both on the same day, like as you said, so or same week. Anyway, yeah, so. two, two days apart. So the Xbox Series X releasing on November 10th here in North America, the PlayStation 5 releasing on November 12th here in North America. International regions, check your local retailers, your local information. Yes, but we're in North America, so that's where we're focusing on, because that's what matters to us. That's what we know. It's what we know best. We are not going to uh, focus on the release information for Swaziland or any of those surrounding countries. Burkina Faso? Uh, certainly not, no. Uh, certainly not the Maldives or uh, uh, Mauritius or uh, not even uh, Antigua. Sorry, yeah. Antigua. Sorry, Antigua. Sorry, you know, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I'm not sure when it's coming out for you either. Seychelles, take a hike. Yeah. Hey, Seychelles, take a hike. Seychelles, say long. Yeah. Say goodbye. <laughs> say see you later. Uh, uh, I enjoy how that got progressively less and less clever as we continued on that joke. Say what? And that's the end of that joke. Good. So, uh, we've got a couple different aspects that we're going to run through, looking at and preparing you for the release of the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 as they are coming out this week. If you've already got your pre-order, or managed to get your pre-order, cool, good for you. If you're one of those people who are kind of on the fence and just going to take a wait-and-see approach, cannot fault you for that either. That is uh, a certainly wise approach to take as well. Uh, there's always going to be a premium paid if you are one of these early adopters who just dive in day of, first day, first date, whatever the case might be, you're paying that premium. And so for the first aspect of this program, we're just going to kind of run through some some specs and sizes of, of these respective machines. Now, I've only mentioned the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. However, there are technically four consoles releasing this week. Yeah, there's the PlayStation 5, like the full PlayStation 5 and the full Xbox Series X, but then there's also the PlayStation 5 All-Digital Edition, which doesn't have the the optical drive, as well as the Xbox Series S, which is the, what... It's you a know, small ashtray. It's a small ashtray, which is their, again, their All-Digital Edition, which doesn't have the optical drive, blah, blah, blah. No, so, it, that one, yeah, a small ashtray slash Bluetooth speaker. 
Yeah, it looks like a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah, but r- regardless, it's like the full version and also the version that doesn't have the optical drive intended to just buy the digital games off of their digital storefront. Yes. So both companies are taking the same tact with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if we just start off at the first most important part, arguably, if you just stop listening and fast forward a few minutes ahead when after we've gone through a bunch of specs, this is the part that you actually probably care about the most. This is the price. The PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, no difference in their price for their full consoles, $499 USD, $629 Canadian is what that works out to. Yes, so those kind of pricier. Yeah, kind of pricier. Definitely, um, yeah, no difference though. Like, no. I think it's important to note no difference whatsoever in either of them. However, in the all digital editions, that's where it gets a little bit interesting because as we said, uh, the Xbox Series X came in first and it came in hot with their two ninety nine price point. So really encouraging you, I think, to buy a digital edition at Microsoft is, because I think they're really trying to prepare you for things to get more and more digital digital as time goes on, more and more kind of reliant on the internet. You can lament that all you want, whatever you want to say, but it's the way that the future is going to be going regardless, so that's how it is. Mm-hmm. And I think this is their way of really saying no, like we're going to make this the super affordable version compared to everything else and make it very hard to look away from it, especially considering PlayStation, their all digital version isn't really that much of a deal when compared to the Xbox or their other one, uh, which, because that's 399 us dollars, 399 us dollars, which is 499 Canadian. So, Whereas there's a $200 price difference between the Xboxes, there's only a $100 price difference between the Playstations. And that $100 really doesn't seem like that much, only given the lack of an optical drive. Yeah. An optical drive is not $100. No. Which, yeah, which makes... On the one hand, you might think, wow, like... Like the, the all digital Xbox is so cheap. But then what you should probably be thinking is, why are the not all digital ones so expensive? <laughs> That's really what I think the takeaway here is, because if Microsoft is able to do it at two ninety nine, why aren't they all two ninety nine? And why isn't it just two ninety nine plus the additional potential to plug in a USB you know, Blu-ray drive or something mm-hmm. like the technology exists to do that. And computer will end. Like, why don't you support that for a console? Right. It's a good question. And it's uh, certainly something that uh, you out there as the buying public will have to take into consideration. If again, you haven't already made up your mind, which it seems like to this uh, point, a lot of the sentiment I have read online, people are taking sides and they've made their pre-orders or, uh, desires known already to get one or the other, or in, in Dennis's case here, get both <laughs> to fight off the existential dreads that 2020 hath wrought. Yes. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm actually like, the more I think about it, the more I'm confused why it's not just all digital with the additional potential to buy a disk drive that you just plug in externally. Yeah. Why isn't that the case? That's a good question. I wonder if we will see that as an option in the future, where that becomes the baseline and the, the optical drive is the, you know, weird one out, the odd one out. Yeah, like, if if we're trying to move towards a digital future, connectivity is still a possibility. Like, we have the ability to put USB drives on things, and USB-C is, like, crazy powerful. 
Like, it's, it's, you can carry a lot of power along USB-C and it has a lot of speed. It's like, it's quite a gutsy format considering, like, compared to like, a lot of the other other formats that we've had in the past, other USB versions, FireWire, Thunderbolt, USB-C kind of kills them all. It's insane. It like, certainly does. And we're I'm sure we will see that in, in the future. And these machines, as they are now, they have USB ports and connectivity on the back of them and everything. Yeah. So it's kind of surprising to me now why they would, like, again, why would these companies bother making putting the effort into making two different versions of these consoles. Why not just put a lot of effort into one and then, you know, put a little bit of effort into your external disk drives. Like maybe you might want them to like, you know, have some sort of way of clicking together or some interesting way that like they look like they fit together. Fine. I get that. But why are you bothering with two different systems and two different price points and confusing people like this? Uh, I'm sure uh, perhaps part of the uh, uh, thought process is the general public aren't ready for that all-digital future, but... But I'm saying it's not an all-digital future. With the option, yes, of the uh, optical drive on the side. Yeah, like, uh, why not just keep your prices as low as possible? Because I'm sure a lot of like what's driving up these main full system prices is the fact that they had to devote a lot of time and mechanical design to two separate consoles. Mm-hmm. Like if they just kind of only worried on about one that was digital, you'd, I'm sure you don't need to worry too much about mechanical design for just an enclosure for an optical drive. Otherwise, like, like there's basically no preparation there and you could still sell bundles for a little bit more if you needed to. Like this is the one that comes with the optical drive because it's the thing you plug in. Otherwise the optical drive can be sold separately at this, whatever price point, like, I don't get it. And certainly if they did take the tact of a a specific focus on an all-digital drive with additional accessory of an optical drive, the designs of them would be different. I mean, we look at the Xbox Series S. The design of it is totally different from that of the Series X, the full-bodied version of Microsoft's console. Yeah. Optical drive and all. So Microsoft was able to shrink that down without an optical drive. What could Sony have done with the PlayStation 5 if they had more focus on a digital console and make an optical drive an accessory? Yeah, and then also, so you don't end up with, like, these behemoth monstrosities that are just gigantic under your under your television. Like, you're splitting up sort of, like, your mechanical design focus between a console that doesn't have a mechanical disk drive in it or an optical drive, I should say, in it, and just an optical drive. So it's two, you're still working on two housings, but, like, they can both be a little bit smaller, (laughs) and one, arguably, not even 100% strictly necessary. So, yeah. And an optical drive itself is not that big a piece of equipment. No. No, it's not. Any sort of shell or housing for it would not take up that much space if it were to be made as an accessory. Yeah. And we have seen, there is precedent actually for uh, uh, a side optional optical drive. If we look back to the original launch of the Xbox 360, uh, it launched and uh, with a DVD drive mm-hmm. in the console. But as an accessory, if you wanted to, for a period of time, you could buy an additional HD DVD drive that plugged in and connected to your Xbox 360. Yeah, I mean, 
we live in an age where this type of thing is not uncommon. At least I'm going to the PC world. Accessories are sort of like the way that like a lot of people prefer to do things these days. You just kind of want to have one central box that has enough connectivity ports and stuff on it for you to plug whatever you want into it. Mm -hmm. But then like make the things you plug into it available. Like, why is this such a hard thing for these console manufacturers to worry about or to work out? And look at the world of uh, laptops and whatnot and how many are just becoming solid digital devices without optical drives. Yeah. I mean, you don't really need an optical drive with internet speeds and stuff the way that they are anymore. But I get it. Like, if you want to introduce the, you know, possibility of backwards compatibility with old systems and stuff, fine. An optical drive is your way of doing that. Just... There's there's optical drives that exist out there that plug into USB-C as it is. All you need to do is write a driver for it. Like, that's not, it's not a big crazy thing. Like, write a driver for it for your system and you're done. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, <laughs> we're not talking about, like, some crazy, super expensive thing to worry about here. We aren't. Uh, I mean, if you're the consumer, then it's just something else to figure out f- where to find space for. And uh, this kind of leads into our next point to talk about here after price point, the size of these things. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago on this program when we got the official dimensions uh, as measured by other organizations, and we just reported it on them. But to run through them again, if you are picking up your Series X on day one or your PlayStation 5 on day one, these things are not small at all. So the PlayStation 5 is the biggest of them, and I think to date is the biggest home console that has been released in the video game world. Now, these measurements are given if you are looking at the PlayStation 5 oriented vertically. So it's standing on its end, and that pop collar is just staring you right in the face. And that pop collar is right at the top, more pronounced. So it is 15.4 inches tall by 4 inches across by 10.2 inches deep. Yeah, well, 4 inches across with an asterisk because both the all-digital and the not-digital PS5s are exactly the same size with the caveat of either 4 inches across or 3.6 inches across. So let's just say 4 inches across. Yeah, because that half inch is pretty meaningless. Yeah, but they're both the same size. They're huge. They're basically like just... Almost 16 by 11 blocks that you have to kind of work out where you're going to put them under your television. That's a... I can see people having challenges with that. Like, that's a significant amount of space. Like, that's that's going to, like, old school, like, early 2000s DVD player sizes. Yeah. Or even... Uh, like, rack mount equipment, basically, sizes. Very much so. Yeah. If you are that much of a, a tech pro, an AV pro, and you've got a rack, uh, a, a rack of equipment for yourself, cool, good on you. You can put it on a tray uh, or a shelf, and, and you have space accordingly, good ventilation on all sides. The average home user who just has their TV stand that they got from wherever, Ikea or some such thing, yeah, you're kind of hooped because you likely already have systems under your TV. You probably have whatever... Box, a modem, uh, whatever, like other equipment. Yeah. Like you might have like your DVR, you might have some Android box, whatever already taken up space under there. You might already have like, you know, a PlayStation, whatever, for Xbox under there. And yeah. Some granted, kind of sound bar. Yeah. Some kind of sound bar probably. So like these, they, on the, 
I guess, like, mercifully, the plus side of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X is that they have promised one generation's worth of backwards compatibility, generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, like, a little dodgy how they're going to accomplish that. And, you know, they most of the sources I've heard say that it's pretty much generally true in 99 point whatever percentage of all cases, but still... So, like, if you had a PlayStation 4, you'd be able to remove that and get a PlayStation 5. But, like, if you had a PlayStation 3 still set up because PlayStation 4 was not backwards compatibility, was not backwards compatible with PlayStation 3, you know, you you still want your PlayStation 3 set up, so you might need to juggle some stuff. Or, you know, if you you are a person that runs both an Xbox and a PlayStation, you're still going to need your Xbox set up Mm -hmm. in, like, whatever capacity... And I mean, in the PlayStation's defense, at least if you orient it horizontally, it'll only be four inches tall. This is true. So now we, we've harped on the PlayStation for whatever reason, you know. It's big. It's big, but at least it's only four inches tall. So like, if you do have like some sort of TV stand that, you know, is like the, the width of your t- whole television or something underneath with a shelf, you'll probably be able to get away with, you know, sh- you know, slotting your PlayStation 5 in under there. It'll require some work, but you'll be able to do it because at least the furniture will probably support the size. The Xbox, on the other hand, they threw the conventions totally out the window, it seems. They did. They, again, this is where the, uh, the deviation from the typical game console uh, industrial design approach of, you know, thin, slim black box... Kind of goes out the window. The Xbox Series X measures in at 11.85 inches tall by 5.94 inches across by 5.94 inches deep. And again, that's the Series X, the one that looks like a fridge. So it's 12, basically 12 inches tall by 6 across by 6 deep. If you are measuring out and need to find space, that's what you should allot for. Now, when it comes to the Xbox Series S, the smaller of the two, it is... Not as tall, although not by much, compared to its full optical drive having counterpart. The Series S is 10.82 inches tall by 5.94 inches across by only 2.5 inches deep. So it's you can lay it in its much flatter than its bigger sibling, is the Series S compared to the Series X. Height-wise, still kind of in the same range, you know, going across the face of it, same, same as the Series X, so it's smaller, but the real benefit is it's thinner than yeah. the Series X. And also, I would argue, looks a bit nicer in terms of industrial design with its uh, just all-white shell and uh, just big black speaker-looking face on the front of it. Yeah. Which is, of course, for ventilation. Uh, if you are... If you've got a sketchy setup with uh, some maybe rickety shelves, you might want to reinforce those, especially with the PlayStation 5. It's almost 10 pounds. Yeah. PlayStation 5 is like 9.92 pounds. Xbox Series X is 8.4 pounds. The all-digital PlayStation 5 is a little bit, you know, it's between them at 8.59 pounds. And the Xbox Series X, S, it's hard to say where you've set all these uh, together. Uh, is 6.4 pounds. Um, so yeah, between, between six and a half and 10 pounds is what you need to make sure that your shelf can support if you're going to get 
one or both of these systems. If you're going to get both the Xbox Series X as well as the PlayStation 5, that's close to 20 pounds right there that your shelf needs to support. That's beefy. That's definitely not light. It is not light. So be aware of those things, those numbers. Um, you know, as someone who perhaps is maybe getting both of them to uh, engage in a little bit of retail therapy, uh, you'd have to rearrange a lot of stuff to make it work for both, wouldn't you? A fair amount, yeah. I mean, currently I have uh, I have a Retron 5 plugged in, which I could probably just move because I'm not using it that often. But I actually have a PlayStation 2, 3, and 4 plugged in currently because there were games on all three systems that I was playing. So I'm probably going to need the 2 and 3 plugged in still if I'm getting a PlayStation 5. And I could unplug my 4. But if I get an Xbox, I don't really know off the top of my head where I'd put it at the current moment. (laughs) So there's that. So these are all things to consider, too. Um, And a PlayStation 5, just given the size... I could easily see some people maybe having to stand it upright, but put it behind their TV, but parallel to their TV. Yeah. Because there may not be enough space underneath the edge of their TV or lift up their TV and prop it up on some phone books. If you still get those delivered to your residence. Yeah, which... Hold on to those and use them as props for this. Yeah. They're handy for something. Yeah. Anyways, moving away from, you know, the physical dimensions and stuff, things, uh, moving more into the actual guts, like the guts, the actual performance side things. The bloody interior. Yeah. Um, we'll just preface this with saying there's almost no difference between the two consoles. Almost no difference. Like, you're probably not going to notice a lot, if any, difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Because... Frankly, the CPUs are almost exactly the same. The only difference is that the PlayStation, well, we'll just say, I think generally at this point on, with the exception of the hard drive space, the, the all digital as well as the not all digital versions of either the PlayStation or the Xbox are the same. So we don't really need to get into any differences there. So I'm, I'm just going to say PlayStation has this, Xbox has this. And it encompasses. And it encompasses both models. Yes. So the PlayStation for CPU, they have an eight cores, eight Zen two cores, which run at 3.5 gigahertz. The Xbox have eight Zen two cores, which run at 3.8 gigahertz. So 3.5 versus 3.8, eight cores. A a 10% difference. Yeah. A negligible difference. So that's, that's the CPU if you get into the graphics processing. Both of them are rocking Radeon RDNA Navi chips. The big difference coming in, the fact that the Xbox machines clock in at 12 teraflops uh, at 1.825 gigahertz. The PlayStation 5 runs at 10.82 or 10.28 teraflops, but 2.23 gigahertz. Both models uh, from Sony and the X or from Microsoft support ray tracing in some way, shape, or form, either through DirectX or through whatever other Sony proprietary ways. Um, so, and Microsoft was really touting the teraflops, both of I believe the previous Xbox One X and also now on the Series X that you know it's the the most powerful uh, home console system that's ever been released. But it's only two more teraflops. Yeah, and and, and that might that might end up being the only thing that sets it apart. Like we don't know how, like I can't actually conceptualize 
the difference between 10.28 teraflops and 12 teraflops? Can that even be represented on a screen? Like, maybe it could, but it, in very subtle ways. Like, I don't know if I'm going to notice a thing if I'm playing the same version of a game side-by-side. Side. Like, I would need to see side-by-side side comparisons of performance of, you know, a game I'm interested in playing, and frankly, I don't think I would notice much. And, well, you'd have to look really hard, yeah. I'd imagine. You'd have to look really hard and almost know what you're looking for in order to notice a difference. But for the for the layperson, the common gamer, on your HDTV or possibly even 4K setup, you're not going to notice. No. And not to mention the fact that, like, most people I know don't have a 4K setup yet. I mean, I think the adoption rate of 4K isn't quite there yet. I mean, like, yeah, it's more and more affordable now. Like, if I needed to buy a new TV, obviously I'd buy a 4K TV, but my old 1080p smart TV still kicking just fine. Yeah, I, I, mean, I certainly think the adoption rate of 4K has is slower when, when compared to the adoption rate of uh, HD TVs. Yeah, like, the jump from my old, you know... Um, tube TV. My old tube television to my HD TV was bananas. It was significant. It was huge. Like, it, it like wasn't even comparable. Like, the amount... Like, I had a PlayStation 3... I had it plugged into an old tube television, and there were literally things on the screen I couldn't read because they were too blurry. Yes. Like, Text is a big problem. Yeah, like, I couldn't read some of the stuff because, like, the the resolution's way too low on an old tube television. I mean, generally, animation-wise and stuff, like, yeah, like, it looked amazing still, like, when you're looking at it on a crappy old TV, like, it, it looked like you're just watching a television show, but the jump and clarity for everything, not just games in general, from an old tube television to an HDTV was huge. Mm -hmm. Like, just was, like, night and day. It Even was like, sound, it becomes different, too. Yeah. Because it's, like... It's digital processing. It's digital processing. It's not an analog signal. It's, like, everything is 100% clear. Now, the speakers might not be as good in some TVs or whatever else, which is why. And some of these form factors don't really lend themselves to you know, big bassy sound or anything sometimes, which is why you might need an external sound system or a sound bar or whatever else, but that's all kind of secondary. But, like, just speaking, just purely visual, the jump from tube to HD was huge. The jump from HD to 4K, not as huge. No. I find it harder to notice a difference. Yeah, I mean, like, granted, when I'm looking at, like, a nice... 4K TV display back when I was able to go to stores still to do such a thing. It did look nice. Like, some of the TVs, it's like, wow, that looks almost like looking out a window when they have, like, a nature thing running mm -hmm. or something. You're like, wow, that's really cool. But is it is it as significant when I go from looking at that to a, a 1080p TV? Like, you notice the differences, but they're not, like, as glaring and annoying. I I will admit, uh, I believe it was earlier this week, I was uh, made a quick pop into a store just to get some almond milk out of almond milk. And quick pop in, but right when you come into the store is the electronics section, and there was an LG uh, OLED 4K TV just on display facing you, deliberately put there, uh, right when you walk in, and it's just running... Uh, 
LG OLED uh, 4K TV with HDR, and it's just running on something that just all the colors look saturated. Oh, yeah. It's like all rainbows and fireworks just on the uh, the media loop that's running on the TV, and I stop every time I look at it, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're so gorgeous, But I and I'd love to have you, but I don't want to pay $2,600 for you. No. But it's still so pretty. Yeah. And I'm sure the games would look amazing on it. Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, and there are cheaper brands and stuff if you look on the internet than, of course, like LG or Samsung or whatever else. Mm -hmm. So, like, fine, but yeah. All this aside, like, I think for a while, like, we're not fully done with all the stats, but we might as well be, like... Because there isn't much difference between the two. No, with the two, like, they both have 16 gigs of GDDR6 RAM. Except the Series S only has 10. Yeah, that's the only difference. The Series S has 10. For whatever reason. No, there was only so much room. Yeah, there's only, yeah. So they say. Uh, the hard drives, you know, the, the PlayStations both have, you know, 825 gig solid state drives. And then the Xbox Series X has one terabyte SSD. And the all digital, for some reason, has 512 gigabytes. You'd think that'd be flipped. You would. I, and I think that's going to be a problem, especially with, uh, Bigger games, something like a Call of Duty, uh, that's gonna come out. If you get an Xbox Series S, you will have to buy some sort of expandable card or additional storage. Yeah. Cause 512 is not enough for a, a hard drive in this modern gaming age. Yeah. And then I, I think the, like, going back to our video output, I'll just, I'll say what we know here before reiterating some stuff here. So the PlayStation 5's both have native 4K, and they both have 8K support, and they both support a 120 hertz refresh rate, whereas the Xbox Series X has native 4K and 8K support, and it's up to 120 hertz refresh rate, whereas the Xbox Series Xbox Series S... Right? Um, yeah. Uh, it runs at 1440p, so closer to HD, uh, with 4K support through upscaling, uh, and it supports up to 120 frames per second, which I don't think is. I'm I'm a little bit unclear on what the difference between that and 120 hertz refresh rate is, but yeah. So so just be aware, the Series S, if that's something you're looking at based on the price point, it is a bit lesser in terms of its capabilities. Yeah, it's not as future proof it seems. But having said that. Is 8K support too future-proof, considering the adoption rate of current 4K technology? I mean, it's future-proof for a future that is maybe 20 years away. That's kind of the impression I'm getting. Like, I've had my, I've had my HDTV for about 10 years now, and it's not showing any signs of slowing down. Like, I think the only reason why I'd want to upgrade it is if it stopped working. Yeah. So, like, if it's built to, like, it seems like it's built to last. I haven't had any issues with my television yet. So if it dies, then I'll consider buying a new TV. But I, and I think most people are in that situation. Like most people aren't in the business of buying a television just to throw it away in two years or donate it to a Goodwill in two years and have it sold for way cheaper or something like, what's the point in that? Like, well, the, the image, uh, quality you're going to get, uh, you know, every two years with different models of TVs from different manufacturers isn't that different. The bells and whistles will be different and be upgraded, but the core 
uh, resolution in the image is going to be the same, same across the board. Yeah. In my mind, at least. So, uh, so those are the stats. Those are the specs. Um, like realistically between the two of them, PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X, you're getting a beefy, good quality machine that's going to make stuff look good. Yeah. So then the real difference becomes, I would think, the games. Yeah. Like the form factors we have talked about, they are different. Once you figure out space, once you figure out what you're going to get, if you're choosing one over the other, which I cannot fault you for, just given those price points, especially of the big versions of each, what are the games? And I have to say, these are some of the most lackluster launch lineups I've seen for uh, major game systems in a while. Yeah. Especially when compared to, say, the Switch, which had uh, Breath of the Wild at launch, and then Mario Galaxy a couple months down the Mario line. Mario Odyssey. Yes. Mar- Mario Odyssey, excuse me, a couple months down the line. Now, good games will be coming. We know the next Halo, I believe Halo Infinite, is uh, in the offing. And both Sony and Microsoft are going to be throwing a lot of money at development. Uh, Microsoft has been on a rampage buying studios yep. to develop games for the uh, Series X and Series S platforms. But coming out at launch, not, I... I cannot say either one of these systems have something that is a unique to them killer app. Yeah, so like there are games that are going to be releasing for this next generation. I mean, there's a whole slew of them. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Borderlands 3, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War in November, uh, or I guess November 13th. November 13th, so pretty soon. Cyberpunk 2077, allegedly on December 10th. Yeah, uh, asterisks. Yeah, asterisks of that's changed a few times and it might change again. Uh, Destiny 2, Beyond Light, Devil May Cry 5, Dirt 5, For Honor, Fortnite, because that's beyond everything, uh, ju- except for iOS devices. Uh, <laughs> Just Dance 2021, Man Eater, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate coming in November 17th, November, or NBA 2K21, Observer System Redux, uh, Planet Coaster, Watch Dogs Legion, and Warhammer Chaos Bane Slayer Edition, so, a lot of games that have already been released in some capacity and a few that haven't been released yet that will be available for both platforms pretty much at launch. But this list doesn't sell one platform or the other nope. because it's just all third-party games. Coming to both of them. Yeah. So that's not unique. That's not a unique selling point. And, of course, if you're going to be getting one system in one system alone, if you cannot swing uh, the, the investment of money, the investment of space, or even just the investment of time to get both machines, you're not alone. Can't fault you for that. So what are these unique games that are going to sell you at launch for one system or the other? Yeah. Well, I mean, on the one hand, like, granted, there are some some games that are interesting on both. Like... PlayStation 5, they have that Astro's Playroom thing, whether or not that actually turns out to be as interesting as it looks like it might be. You know, not not up for debate right now Mm -hmm. yet, Um, but Demon's Souls, that remaster of the very, or I guess reworking of the the original Demon's Souls from the ground up, looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm. If you're a Souls fan, there's a lot of you out there, myself included. Uh, Mar- Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales. He, that, that looks pretty interesting. Sure does. Uh, and Sackboy, a big adventure. Who doesn't like Sackboy? Who doesn't like Little Big Planet? Like you're a monster if you don't. Yeah. So those are those are pretty good. Th- those are solid, say B titles. Yeah. Like they're they're not like they're not uh, the killer app. 
No. Like, I, I, none of those make me want to jump out and go grab, you know, a new console necessarily right away. Like, there's, there's no reason for that. Like, it's not like the big super hype. Like, of, it's not to say, like, if somehow Microsoft or Sony was able to get Cyberpunk as an exclusive or something, or if Elder Scrolls 6 was out or something, because, like, Xbox for Series X, Forza Horizon 4, Gears of War 5, Gears Tactics, and Grounded, and Ori and the Will of the Wisps. As being first-party titles uh, exclusively available on those systems at launch. Yeah, even though several of them were already originally released for Xbox One, and these are just kind of enhanced versions. Mm-hmm. So that's a disappointing lineup of uh, first-party games. Yeah. Like, like I, I'm, I know Microsoft was planning for Halo Infinite to be the killer app at launch for the Series X, and that had to be delayed because of just uh, delays in development of the title. There also probably would have been some hope on Microsoft's end. You'd, you'd like to think of why they would have bought... Bethesda. Like, if they bought Bethesda, then maybe that means that we would see The Elder Scrolls 6 and or Starfield come out for Xbox maybe as a first-party title. If I'm being honest, that would have 100% sold me on Xbox. Like, if, if Elder Scrolls 6 was a launch title and it was, or either a launch title or available very soon after launch, and it was a Xbox exclusive... Okay, I guess I'm going to Xbox because mm-hmm. when I think of the you know, game experiences I've had over the last decade, Skyrim figured very, very heavily into that. So it's like I got a lot of mileage out of Skyrim, so probably going to get a lot of mileage out of the next Elder Scrolls game. And if it's only going to be available on Xbox, yeah, even though we're not talking about it particularly this week, but I know Todd Howard had made some claim in some interview when someone had asked him if it's going to be a exclusive and he said well i can't see it being totally exclusive <laughs> you know whether or not he was supposed to say that or not you know todd howard's a bit of a crazy person sometimes so and that kind of goes back to a point we spoke of at the time with the announcement of microsoft's uh, plan to buy bethesda for seven and a half billion dollars which came out a couple of weeks ago the fact that for microsoft to recoup that seven and a half billion dollar investment they can't really have those games exclusive to their platforms no you're ignoring a lot of the other gaming community out there, if not the majority of the gaming community. Yeah. Um, so that's out there. So those are first-party games coming at launch. Uh, but then maybe there's third-party games that are exclusive to these platforms. There are, but there's not a lot of them. Because PlayStation 5 only has Bug Snacks, Godfall, and The Pathless. None of which I think I've heard any press about. And none of which are killer apps. No. And, you know, Xbox Series X has a bigger number, but a lot of them are maybe like, eh, like Bright Memory 1.0, Cuisine Royale, Dead by Daylight, Enlisted, Evergate, King Oddball, which I know has been released on a couple of other systems already, uh, Manifold Garden, Tetris Effect Connected, The Tourist, um, the Falconeer, War Thunder, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Yes Your Grace. Like, some of them are interesting looking games, but a lot of them are really just kind of like indie games that have already been released or, you know, like they've just kind of, they're just going to be exclusive for that generation to that console. 
not that they've been exclusive to any generation for a previous console, so... Mm-hmm. Or not that they've been exclusive to any console for a previous generation. That's the order of words I meant to say. Sounds good to me. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, there's exclusives, but there's, again, no big killer app. Like, there's no Halo, and there's no... No God of War, no although God that's of War. in the offing. Sony held a press event, uh, I believe in September. Uh, September, if not late September. Time's kind of a blur at this point, as I said before. Time is a flat circle. So... They also, in that press event, showed off Final Fantasy, the next Final Fantasy game. Yeah. And tried to imply that it's going to be solely console exclusive, but they later relented, and I believe it came out that it's a one-year timed exclusive. Yeah. So, genuine third-party exclusives, forever and ever, don't exist anymore. No. So, the likelihood of Final Fantasy only ever being on a PlayStation? Not happening. No, that's not going to happen anymore. That's Those days are done. And same with the uh, 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 the next Elder Scrolls or anything by Bethesda. The likelihood, not high, I would say. So this launch lineup, pretty not great. Yeah. And I mean, like... Like, is there anything in here that uh, would twig your interest to make you go out within the first week or uh, first month or whatnot to uh, get something? One or either of these systems? No. Yeah, that's kind of my thought, too. And because these launch lineups, really not stellar, uh, the two companies are having to turn and put a lot of emphasis on alternate game sources for these new machines, which is interesting, uh, which is, I suppose, a tack you have to take when there's no killer app, there's nothing, no single software title that's going to drive system sales to your platform. So then you have to bring in people and have games for them to play through other means. Uh, one of the other means, backwards compatibility. I believe, as you uh, touched on before, uh, the PlayStation 5 has a level of backwards compatibility yeah. just for games on the PlayStation 4. Yeah. Those will be compatible with PS5 at launch. That's not an issue. If PlayStation said they had full backwards compatibility all the way back to PlayStation 1... I would consider it a day one purchase for me. That would be huge. I'd be like, I do still have a sizable library for all the way back to PlayStation 1. Like, I had every PlayStation. And then it's like, does this mean I can consolidate everything down to one system finally? Holy crap, that'd be awesome. But they haven't said that. They've basically been very clear saying, nope, we're only doing one level of backwards compatibility for this. As if to just kind of like, be like, no, never mind. If you want to play those old games, you need to plug in old systems. For some reason, Sony has never put that much time, effort, or seemingly respect into backwards compatibility. Yeah. And and it's been true from the PS2 onward. I mean, the PS2 worked with PS1, but PS3, it got hinky. It was backwards compatible. That was removed. Yeah, because they they thought that that... Well, frankly, when the PS3 came out, it was like hellishly expensive. It was. Like, it was more expensive than these. Yeah, it was. Like, it. what was it, $800? I think the high-end, uh, full, like, what, 120 or 250? Uh, I think it was a 256 gigabyte model was six, or it was $800. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Which, you know, it was fully backwards compatible with every PlayStation device or back to that point, so you could play PS1 and PS2 games on it, but they claimed that the hardware in it was what made it so expensive, so they ended up stripping that hardware out and redesigning it, then re-releasing it 
for a more reasonable, I think it was $400, which fine, but still like when you get later and later, when you have more and more time between your current console and your previous consoles, you'd think that with all of your extra processing power, you'd be able to work out some sort of like emulation through software or whatnot. And also too, with the, uh, the increase in processing power as newer technologies allow for, but also just more knowledge you have as uh, development studios, as people of what you can do. Yeah. Like, and, I, and how to work around problems. Yeah. I don't know why. Anyways, um, that, that's a rant for another day, but backwards compatibility PS5 just has the PS4, nothing to do with the PS3, PS2, or PS1 games at this point. So, as you said, if you have those old games, you need the old systems. Yeah, whereas Xbox have basically totally embraced full backwards compatibility. You can, like, they they say, like, there's like a 99% chance that if you want to play a game from any Xbox system, you'll be able to play it on the new system, provided that it's the optical drive version of the system. Yes, and then it'll... The machine will read the disc and basically go download a digital copy of that game. Yeah. So it's not working natively on the machine. It's basically triggering uh, a chain reaction. Yeah, exactly. That eventually allows you to play the game, but you'll still end up playing the game you want to play. Yeah. Which is more than you can say for the PlayStation 5. Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't care how it's being played. I just want to play the game, right? Like, that's like, <laughs> I think that's everyone who's playing video games has that same sort of opinion, like, no matter what your technical knowledge is, you just kind of want to play a game at some point, like, so that's, that's all you can really ask for, and, like, the the Xbox is fully backwards compatible, so that's sort of, like, a bigger, a bigger thing, so, like, if you are an Xbox person, and you have, like, a sizable Xbox collection, still going back to the original Xbox, you can actually safely remove the console from under your television, and have it replaced with the new one. It's true. Which is uh, a nice bit of peace of mind. If you're not sure if your old game will work on the new Xbox Series X, a uh, good rule of thumb is uh, look to see and find out if it worked on the Xbox One, uh, any model of the Xbox One. If it did, then it will work with the Series X. Yeah. Because they're just making this compatible with anything that worked on Xbox One, and the Xbox One had backwards compatibility added for the previous generation of generations, plural, of Microsoft systems. Yeah. So it's a straight shot from one to the next. So very handy, very yeah. convenient that way. So if backwards compatibility, maybe you uh, don't have a lot of discs that way, uh, you kind of turn towards a more digital game future. Uh, I mean, both of the PlayStation and the Xbox have their own online ecosystems, but they took some steps in uh, recent weeks to try and boost their online services to be more appealing to you, the uh, game-playing and paying public. So, uh, there was two moves. Microsoft, uh, made, I think the first move, fired the first salvo, if you will, back on September 9th when they revealed all the things about the Xbox Series X and whatnot, uh, price point, release date, all that good jazz, which they bogarted, I believe, the PS2's release date, like the 20th birthday of the PS2's release date, and just made it all about themselves, so... Kudos to whoever figured that out in the Microsoft communications department. Yep. And it was like, hey, we can totally do this. Do it. Let's. Holy crap. This is amazing. Which is like just shy of an Onion article I read from the Onion's game network. Um, their, you know, their version of what I would say is like the hard drive for hard times. You mm-hmm. know, hard times has their hard drive, which is their gaming thing. But 
the onion has their OGN. Um, and I remember, I think it was last year around this time, you know, back when there were speculations about, it was before the Xbox Series S or X were released or even a thought, you know, back when it was still kind of speculation of like what Microsoft's next console was going to be. The onion basically said, um, Xbox, um, preempt PlayStation's, uh, next console release because the P- PlayStation people had basically at that point said, yeah, PS5 is going to be a thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was like Xbox preempts Sony by, by unveiling that their next system will be the PlayStation 6, <laughs> which is just hilarious. Obviously it's not, not what actually happened, but you know, still a funny thing to think about, but uh, yeah. So these online memberships, again, uh, Microsoft revealing a bunch of stuff on September 9th. Uh, they revealed that uh, the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, so the ultimate version of their Game Pass uh, platform, will come with a free subscription and membership to EA Play, which is EA's online service. So Microsoft indirectly, though directly adding a bunch of EA games to their service, but only if you sign up for their membership, which is a nice value-added bonus, yeah. a way to try and appeal to people. So in return, Microsoft announced, or not Microsoft, Sony announced a whole bunch of uh, games, uh, PS4, really some key PS4 titles coming to the PlayStation Plus collection, which is, I guess, their new thing on the PlayStation Plus to have good titles right off the gate, for, right out of the gate for people to play on the PS5. Uh, in the PlayStation Plus collection is Battlefield 1, Batman Arkham Knight, Bloodborne, Days Gone, Detroit Become Human, Fallout 4, Final Fantasy 15, God of War, the 2018 game, not the first game, God, that's a stupid naming scheme, Infamous Second Son, Monster Hunter World, Mortal Kombat 10, Persona 5, Ratchet & Clank, Resident Evil 7, Last of Us Remastered, Last Guardian, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, and also Until Dawn. So, some solid titles in there. If you are a member of the PlayStation Plus, you can get those right out of the gate on your PlayStation 5. So, that's handy, that's nice, as a means of compensating for the fact that the new launch lineup for the PlayStation 5, not so killer. Yeah. And save with the Xbox Series X, not so killer. Which is kind of wild to think that these companies are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in these systems and the software is not there. Like, initially on launch day, the software is not there. Now, these are not the first systems to experience uh, lackluster launch lineups uh, when they come to market. I believe the PlayStation 2 had just pretty much garbage when it came out uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, nothing of what you associate with the PlayStation 2 as being a great game came out on its launch day. I also seem to recall, I mean, sometimes, sometimes these, um, lack of good launch titles also kind of end up hamstringing the system's progress because it kind of, like, puts a weird, you know, sour taste in people's mouths and they end up not wanting to go back. Like, I think the GameCube ended up with a not great launch lineup either. Uh, that's true, because there was no Mario title at launch. Instead, people got Luigi's Mansion. Yeah. Which people enjoy Luigi's Mansion nowadays, but at that time, it felt kind of felt like a bait-and-switch. Yeah, because, you know, we eventually did get Super Mario Sunshine, but maybe the opinion would have been different if we got that instead of Luigi's Mansion. Mm-hmm. As well as, you know, 
a Zelda game first when it when it launched because it, I I seemed I might be misremembering it was a long time ago but we did have to wait a while to get um, Wind Waker. Wind Waker. Like yeah, it wasn't was a launch a, title. It was not a launch title. Eventually did get a Wind Waker on the GameCube, which uh, is a solid title. I don't care what people say of it these days. It's a solid Zelda game. It looks pretty, um, and it looked good, and then eventually did also get uh, Twilight Princess on GameCube as well. Yeah. Which is, in the, my opinion, the better version of the game. It is the better version of the game. Um, but yeah, all, all the other stuff. Like it, we, we did get some good games for GameCube, but I think... In general, as a system, it ended up leaving sort of a weird sour taste in people's mouths. I think including game developers as well, because I think a lot of developers didn't really make the games for the GameCube as well, because they looked at it and was like, well, I don't know, doesn't look like I can do a lot on this, so we'll just go elsewhere. That's true, and without having a good install base, maybe right off the hop then why are these companies going to put the time and effort and resources into developing games for that platform? Yeah. And also at that point when the GameCube came out, the PS2 I think was a year old and was starting to get some good games for it and some good, uh, a really good install base. So yeah. go right over and work on that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's those are things to be aware of. And just some other quick news and notes we'll get to here of things to be aware of. Uh, if you are looking forward to getting your PlayStation 5 on release date of November 12th, be aware of the fact that you cannot go get it in store, like just walk in and buy it in the store. Sony has said, come out and said, in Europe and also in North America, in a post, uh, or stated these things in a post on their PlayStation blog, that uh, in the interest, quote, in the interest of keeping our gamers, retailers, and staff safe amidst COVID-19, all day of launch sales will be conducted through the online stores of our retail partners, end quote. So the... Tradition, if you will, of lining up at midnight or prior to midnight outside your favorite uh, game retailer, not happening this year. Which is good and socially responsible of them to be doing, thankfully. It's true. If uh, we recall back to, I think earlier this year with the launch of Animal Crossing on the Switch, there were lines of people waiting outside stores to get it. Yeah. Thankfully, we know enough now and know that large crowds of people, not a thing we want to have these days. Yeah. Most of us know that, I should say. Yeah, mo- most of us know that. Most of us, anyways, without getting too far into that depressing discussion, yeah, most of us know that. Yeah, Sony in their uh, blog uh, blog post went on to say, quote, please don't plan on camping out or lining up at your local retailer on launch day in hopes of finding a PS5 console for purchase, end quote. So any inventory that your local retailer is getting will only be to fulfill pre-orders. So people who got a pre-order through a toy store, you know, electronics retailer, Megalomart, whatever, they only have enough to cover the pre-orders. They're not selling to the general public. Or I should say, they shouldn't be selling to the general public. No, they Things shouldn't Things always can get a little wonky at the base local retailer level. Yeah, I, I could see some local retailers maybe not getting the memo, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, so, so be aware of the, that fact. You can't just waltz into a store and get a PS5 on launch day of November 12th. Yeah. Uh, there's also another tidbit of information um, we need to get to here. It's sort of a little bit of an elephant in the room. You know, we've, we've talked about USB-C and, like, you know, kind of standards and things about how, like, you know, easy it is to generally 
in the PC world how easy it is to get things like external hard drives and stuff these days, mm-hmm. and like how easy easily compatible some of these devices are with your computer in general. Like you just buy an external hard drive, plug it in, and it's ready to go. Generally, like the formatting and everything usually will just kind of happen transparently to you, and it's done. Which is why it's kind of surprising to me from Microsoft of all people in the last little while who've been sort of like really all in on open source and stuff in the developer world last two or three years anyways, what with their purchase of GitHub and whatnot, um, to be basically saying that if you want to expand the storage of your Xbox Series S or X, you will need to buy a proprietary card. So I'm not sure. It, it seems like that's sort of flown a little bit under the radar in terms of like one of the selling points. Um, but it's a little bit of a souring point for me that um, it is a proprietary card. It's not like an SD card even or a USB stick or just a hard drive you can buy from whatever. You need to buy this proprietary card and they are going to be, well, the one terabyte proprietary card is going to be priced at two hundred nineteen ninety nine, so two hundred twenty US dollars. That is not cheap. No, that's not cheap for only a terabyte. I mean, now granted, they're small, but still, like it's two hundred twenty bucks for a terabyte. Whereas if you compare it to other SSDs, like a terabyte is a fair amount. Like it's a sizable SSD, but I don't think they're that expensive. I Normally. think you should be able to get them for around a hundred bucks. I think so. You know, memory uh, and storage prices have just come down so far and they continue to drop too. Yeah. So now let's uh, look at that in the light of the uh, Xbox Series S, which again only has a 512 gig solid state inside the system. Yeah. So you'll need to get one of these basically since it is an all digital system. So you'll need that extra terabyte of storage. Uh, so then add... 200, well, really 220 bucks US to the $300 uh, price point for the Xbox Series S, and you're suddenly up to $520 US. Yeah, which is more than the price of the Xbox Series X. It sure is. Yeah. So that's a fly in the ointment. But however, if you are someone who's half all in on digital and still fine with a you know, having a optical drive and you have bought an Xbox Series X and if you want to get one of these, you're going to be sitting at like, you know, 700 bucks. So it's, it's a lot of money. It's, it's, it's not cheap. I kind of thought we were over the days of proprietary game cards uh, or memory cards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what with the prevalence and uh, ubiquity of USB drives, uh, jump drives, uh, you know, there's just storage out the wazoo these days compared to what there was, say, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. But also, <laughs> there's other one final kick in the pants, too, regarding the Xbox Series S. So, as we said, 512 gigs is how big the hard drive is. And we've said multiple times that chances are you're going ne- to need to expand that. And unfortunately, the only way to do that is through proprietary means. But... 512 is a misleading number because you're not able to use the full 512. Of the 512, there's a good portion of it that's locked off for operating system and, you know, other system, maybe backup, whatever 
whatever tools that you know, you can't knock off and you need for the system to run on that hard drive. So when all is said and done, you're only actually able to use uh, about 364 gigs of that 512 gigs. That's not that great. No. That's uh, that's a loss of about a uh, hundred and... It's about 20% loss. Yeah. Yeah. 48, I believe. If I'm doing some ballpark math here in my head. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's not great. So, I mean, now it's normal for a system to have a portion of its hard drive sectioned off for operating system purposes. Of course. Uh, these are not the old plug-and-play machines of yesteryear where there was no operating system whatsoever. These yeah, or, are, or where the operating system was just, it, you know, or if it was an early not plug-and-play system where there was an operating system just kind of baked onto some chips, like ROM chips or whatever, in the system. No, those days are gone. Yeah. No, these are computers, straight yeah. up. So they just uh, don't do any word processing or uh, whatnot, but they still run YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Be aware of that fact. Now, the percentage of loss that uh, you get with the Xbox Series S on its hard drive is also greater than what there is on the Xbox Series X, too, which is another kick in the pants. Uh, Ari Notice of Kotaku.com wrote about this subject and also noted that uh, the Series S, you're able to use 71.1% of its hard drive compared to being able to use 80.2% of the hard drive in total space on the Xbox Series X. Yeah. So the trade-off is some of the files and game sizes might be a bit smaller for things on the Series S, given that it outputs at lower resolutions and maybe just may not have as much data to the game files, given that uh, the Series S won't have to have any sort of uh, uh, contingencies for outputting in 4K or uh, things of that nature. However, they say that it's all, that's an on paper thing for sure. You know, as someone that has done multi-platform development before, like a lot of tools, I mean, it doesn't make it very easy for you depending on like whatever tool chain you're using to develop a game. If you are a third party developer, you're not writing three different versions of a game. You're writing one version of a game and compiling it three different ways. Mm-hmm. Like you're not changing your assets out probably if you're, you know, making your game for three different systems, like you're probably just going to have whatever version of the assets and let the system do with them what you will. So you probably have your full upscale assets in there and, you know, it's not going to make any difference in your file sizes and stuff. They're just going to be played at a lower resolution, like downscaled or whatever using the hardware. So, um, yeah, apparently at the moment, some games, including Yakuza Like a Dragon and Gears Tactics, will apparently have identical file sizes on both the Series S and X. Um, though, like, you know, I think, yeah, like, this is not going to be a thing for third parties. You're probably only going to see this for first-party stuff, mm-hmm. where, you know, Microsoft might have more stringent um, requirements of their first-party developers than third-party developers just by nature of it being like, well, this is a first party thing. We need to have, make sure that first party stuff is as great as possible on our first party. So fine. But like, you can't expect the same of third party people because like, yeah, like first party, apparently um, the series X version of gears five versus series S is going to be 71.2 down to 51.5 gigs. 
uh, likewise with uh, Sea of Thieves Series X, it's going to be forty six point C forty six point six gigs versus Series X or S. Man, it's so hard to say. Right? <sighs> Only seventeen gigs. So like a, a, a sea of thieves of difference, you could say. Uh, yeah. Whereas you know others, like I said, negligible. Like Forza Horizon Four, Series X. 81.9 series S 77. Like it's, it's not much different. So yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it looks like a good deal on paper at a glance only yes. until you dig into it, the, the figures a little bit more than you realize, Oh, this digital only version maybe isn't that good of a deal. Like when you see a car for uh you know, a very ridiculously good deal, yeah. Like, oh, sweet. Well, that's a good, you know, sticker price, you know, and then you look into it and realize, oh, you need new tires. Oh, you need a new time belt. Oh, the uh, automatic door locks don't work. Or what, I mean, I, I think it was about 10, 15 years ago. It was something that they cracked, they later cracked down on here as a consumer, but with new cars, there were some dealerships that were advertising a very misleading low price for a brand new car. Whereas it was not including freight price for, um, like freight handling prices for import fees and stuff like that, as well as they would just be showing the base model price while also advertising the car to have certain things that weren't part of the base model. Mm-hmm. So like, and also not actually having any base model cars available because no one actually wants a base model. People actually still want things like, you know, cruise control and Air conditioning. Air conditioning and whatever else, like. Heated seats. Yeah, heated seats. So you you basically say, oh wow, this like $10,000 base price for this car is sweet. Then you go, wait a minute, the cheapest car I can get here is $25,000. What the hell's with this $10,000 price you're saying? It's like, oh, that's the base price. Well, give me that. Well, we don't actually offer that base model because the only ones we offer have all these things baked in. It's like, so you don't, it's just false advertising then. Yeah, yeah, just uh, with a lot of fine print at the bottom. And there's fine print to the Series S, and I hope that uh, in our time uh, talking to you this week to prime you for the launch of the new consoles, we have made you aware of these things and perhaps made you a more informed consumer. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, that's a lot of information we've gone through. Ultimately, it's still a very personal choice. And I think perhaps the biggest dictation of what uh, people may get is, what are your friends playing? Yeah. Like, I've said this for the last, I think, three console generations now. Ultimately, yeah, first-party games are fine, but, like, a lot of people, it all boils down to, I'm going to be playing Call of Duty with my friends, or whatever game. Yeah. Is there multi-platform Call of Duty yet? No. You can't play a PlayStation person against a Microsoft person yet, so where are all my friends getting it? We need to decide, because, you know, we'll be playing it you know, a couple times a week and we need to be able to chat with each other while doing it and play in the same game. So that's, that's the decision. That's a hundred percent what the decision is. So ultimately doesn't matter. Like, you know, sometimes it might even just be an arbitrary thing of like, just go get, I'm going to get an Xbox. Everyone's getting an Xbox. Okay, fine. Yeah. Just be a coin flipper. Like, oh, we had an Xbox before. I don't want to set up a new account somewhere else. I'm just going to get an Xbox now. So again, might just inertia might make these decisions for you, or hey, I don't have the space for a PS5 in my gaming setup in my room. Yeah, so I'll go with an Xbox uh, Series X. Yeah, 
whatever your consideration is, is real to you and is valid uh, to you. Make your decisions accordingly. I hope we have uh, been able to open your eyes, make you aware of some things that uh, you weren't aware of before. And I think as uh, I've said before in this program, what you've said before too, if not this week, then also in past weeks, you're going to get a good system. Yeah. Uh, you're going to get something that makes games look good. They're going to play great. And neither of them is going to be a lemon unless one of them does end up being a lemon, in which case, Jesus Christ, there's a problem. But at this point, these companies have been developing game systems for 20 plus years, if not 30 years. They know what they're doing. You're getting a good solid piece of hardware. This isn't going to be like the launch of the Xbox 360. Uh, This isn't going to be like the launch of the PlayStation 3. These companies have learned from their past mistakes. You're getting something. Games are going to look good. They're going to play great. Go with whatever works for you. Or equally as valid, wait, there is no like gun to your head to buy a system. No. I mean, unless you absolutely need like the newest version of whatever game, like like we've said, there's not really a lot of like benefit yet. There's not there's just not new games coming out for these systems that are like stellar like killer apps. There's no games that are being released right away that are not available on the current generation. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you absolutely need to be an early adopter, there's not really any reason to buy one of these yet. No, I mean, let's look ahead to, I think, the uh, really the coming year, uh, if we make it that far, 2021. Uh, you know, Sony has said that there's going to be the new God of War game. Uh, God of War, whatever they entitle it. God of War Dadbod 2. Yeah. Uh, I believe Final Fantasy, uh, the next Final Fantasy is perhaps a 2021 release or maybe 2022. Uh, Microsoft should be releasing Halo Infinite, uh, in the next year. I mean, they want to get it out. They've spent enough money on the thing. They, they want to get it out. Uh, we'll have more information about the next Elder Scrolls. Uh, we'll have more information about, about Starfield. Which, I mean, those are Bethesda titles, soon to be owned by Microsoft. They will come to PlayStation platforms. Yeah. So, there's going to be really good games coming in the next year. Wait until then. Maybe uh, Sony will do a promotion and have a specific branded uh, God of War console into time with the release of that, of God of War Dadbod 2. So, (laughs) you know, time it accordingly. Do whatever works for you. Hope that we have informed you and uh, uh, allow you to make a more uh, wise buying decision because you're investing a lot. These yeah. are not cheap machines. They never are, but these seem especially expensive. Yeah, I mean, like, they're not PlayStation 3 expensive, but in terms of, like, b- comparing it to the last generation, um, yeah, it, it feels, what, like 20% more expensive to me almost? Like It does, and uh, I mean, looking at the low-hanging fruit, the Xbox Series S, that 299 US price point, that's, got, that's the Switch. Yeah. That's the same price point as the Switch. There's also a lot of asterisks involved in that 299 price point. As there we, is. As we've talked about. So, you know, you, you might be thinking like, oh, I could get by with that, but really... For how long? For how long, because hard drive space is going to become a big problem really quickly, and also... Upgrading that's going to be hella expensive. So, yeah. It's true. So, be aware, be advised, uh, but get something that works for you, or wait. There's no harm in waiting. Abstinence is (laughs) A-OK. Yes. For most things. This is one of them. Yes. 
<laughs> uh, we'll just take a few minutes here at the end to still do something normal, as we do like to do at the end of every show, The Blast from the Past, uh, things that are old, celebrating milestone anniversaries. No, nothing game-related this week, uh, but two movies that are celebrating 20 and 30-year anniversaries. One is notable, the other is notable for how not notable it is. Yeah, I think we can talk about the not notable one first, just to kind of get through it. Yes, so the not notable one is a movie that came out on November 17th of the year 2000. Uh, it is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from really the downslope of his heyday. Yeah. It is a movie called The Sixth Day. Yeah, which... Um, <sighs> it's not a great movie. It is not a great movie. There's definitely... Arnold Schwarzenegger put out no shortage of not great movies in this period of time. I mean, I would argue, starting with Eraser, a lot of his movies, you know, leading up to his run as governor were not great. Really forgettable. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair. Uh, anything really after True Lies, I think it starts to become very questionable. Although Last Action Hero is still good. I like Last Action Hero. I think Last Action Hero is a little bit misunderstood in terms of what it was as a movie, which if you look back at reviews... People thought it was just a bad action movie. Like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, blah, blah, blah. They're leaving sloppy things all over the case. Like, he's just saying all these, all these, like, cliche lines and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that was the point. It's a meta take and commentary on the big action movie. Yeah, the whole point was that he, like, the kid, <laughs> like, he was a, he was literally like an action movie character pulled out into the real world. So it was supposed to be super cheesy and weird and, out of place, like, yeah, like, I would say that was probably, yeah, you're right, maybe his last good movie, like, he, he, and it's funny how quickly the turn happened, where he was making really good classic movies, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is real boring, and eh. Uh, I mean, so after Last Action Hero, I believe there was Eraser, and End of Days. Yeah, End of Days came out, what, 99, there was Six Day, there was a Collateral Damage. Yeah, Collateral Damage. Just a truly forgettable movie. <laughs> yeah, it really was, surprisingly. Um, now, that's not to say every period in Schwarzenegger's career is stellar. I mean, no. in the early to mid-80s, too, he had some lackluster films, too. Oh, yeah, like Red Dawn, I think, was, like, not great. <laughs> I mean... Yeah? I mean, they, in every era, they tried tried stuff. And, like, you know, like... But the 80s were more, like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. And the stuff that stuck was really good in my mind. Like, oh, absolutely. So like, you know, you would get, even in the early mid nineties, you would end up in the same way. Like he was part of a number of major blockbusters, Terminator two true lies, uh, you know, like again, last action hero, a number of really big classic cultural touchstone movies like Terminator two, it's in, like, the public discourse as, like, one of the classic movies in my head. Anytime you hear the do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. It's like, okay. You yeah. know what that ties back to. Yeah. Or anyone mentioning Skynet these days with the advancement of AI, you know what that ties back to. Yeah. All of that stuff. So, like, yeah, there was classic stuff involved. But it's funny how it went from that to all of a sudden it was like, there just wasn't good ideas anymore. And then it was he was just taking all these weird bad roles. The Sixth Day was one of those weird bad roles. It was kind of an interesting-ish kind of, but not even really super interesting. It was just like, it was a take on cloning. 
Yes, uh, the entire premise centered around cloning and Arnold Schwarzenegger's character discovering that there was a clone of him out there and he had to get to the bottom of it as he was a private charter helicopter pilot for a genetics company who was working in cloning. And I guess you can imagine that you would not appreciate the fact that there's a clone of you out there, so try to get to the bottom of it. Things happen, action scenes happen, blah, 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 blah. I believe there's a helicopter chase scene um, and there's a twist at the end, which I don't know if we should spoil it or not, but it relates to the fact of, uh, whether or not, uh, one of the Schwarzeneggers is the clone or which Schwarzenegger is the clone and which one isn't. Yeah. So there you go. It's, it's a movie. Uh, it, it has a start point and an end point and it's not great in between. There's yeah. a few good moments in one liners, but I don't think they're that memorable that I can draw them off the top of my head. Yeah, like, I I seem to remember there was maybe two good short... Like, part of the appeal of a classic Schwarzenegger movie is the one-liners. Yes. There was maybe one or two in this movie, which, admittedly, is more than Collateral Damage had. Ooh, true. I don't remember anything from Collateral Damage. I All I remember is that it was initially planned for release in September of 2001, and then had to be delayed because of the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. That's what I recall. And it's a movie where he goes to get revenge on, I think, a cartel in South America. Yeah. He was a firefighter and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, lost his family and things happen and somehow becomes a badass action hero. Yeah. But there's not, there wasn't really any classic Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger one-liners in that movie. No. At least there was a couple in this movie, but they were like, you know, like, in the B tier of some of his, like, the, if, there's definitely a pantheon of classic Schwarzenegger one-liners, and this one doesn't even come close to reaching that pantheon. It does not. It's uh, solidly B, if not C-grade Schwarzenegger material. Yeah, but uh, it's 20 years old now, so it is. I figured we'd give a nod to it. Certainly, but uh, we'll take some minutes now to talk about something more notable, more noteworthy, more enjoyable than The Sixth Day. That is a family holiday movie that released on November 16th of the year 1990. It is uh, one of those classic films that you will see airing in the weeks ahead as we approach the Christmas holiday. Perhaps it is in your must-watch Christmas collection. It is Home Alone. Yeah, classic movie. 30 years old. 30 years old, classic movie. Um, back in the heyday of, like, John Hughes basically being an unstoppable force. Yes. Like, from the early to mid-80s and through to, it really was about a 10-year span. Yeah, he was an unstoppable force. There was probably, there were movies that John Hughes either produced or directed that, like, you look back and you're like, I forgot that was a John Hughes movie. And not that this was one of them that I forgot was a John Hughes movie. This is maybe one of the quintessential John Hughes movies. Uh, which is weird to say because he had the Brat Pack uh, series of movies in the uh, mid to late 80s, too. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, a number of those movies, like, you know, Breakfast Club and... Uh, Pretty and Pink. Pretty and Pink. Sixteen Candles. Weird Science. That's right, too. Um, yeah, like a lot of those movies were just... Yeah. <laughs> like, he... He has a lot of movies, but this is maybe one of his quintessential movies. Like, if you've never seen Home Alone, the idea is Danny McAllister, played by... Kevin McAllister. Kevin McAllister, yes, sorry, uh, played by a very young 
um, Macaulay Culkin, you know, his family, he's basically the youngest kid in a big family and there's a big hectic, like they're trying to wrangle, like they're a big family together to go to the airport and blah, 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 go away for, you know, the family, big, the big family retreat for Christmas where their whole family recongregates at grandma and grandpa's house or whatever. No, they're going to Paris. Yeah, they were going to Paris. That's what it was. Anyways, big Christmas trip, blah, blah, blah. A lot of moving parts, sort of like a bit of a theme with a few of John Hughes's movie. I mean, 16 candles was very kind of similar where, you know, the sister was getting married and then, you know, the the younger sister was basically entirely forgotten about on her birthday. Mm -hmm. Very similar. Kevin McAllister was entirely forgotten about on, this trip. So like they forgot to look for him and make sure that like the head count was correct when, um, you know, everyone was, uh, being corralled into the car. So they make it onto the plane, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden they realize, wait, where's Kevin? And Kevin is at home and they're already on the plane. And then it's like the classic scene of everyone makes the realization at the same time. And then everyone has that, you know, hands on the cheeks yelling, ah, so, yeah, that that's that's Home Alone. Yep. So, and then to make matters worse, you know, Kevin McAllister by himself in the house. It's in an affluent neighborhood. It's a very fancy schmancy looking house. So oh yeah. In the neighborhood, there's a couple of you know um, burglars basically going around the neighborhood trying to break in and steal stuff, and they're called the Wet Bandits, and they are. They've basically targeted the McAllister house. Well, they've targeted every house on the block, but yeah. the last one, I guess the crown jewel for them, for Harry and Marv, the criminals, is the McAllister household. It's the last one they've yet to knock off. And uh, they plan to knock it off, say, on Christmas, and then plans get complicated once uh, they realize there's a kid. So they try to work around that, and Macaulay Culkin has to defend the house from these robbers and manages to do so successfully while inflicting ridiculous Ridiculous injuries on the two. Or what in the real world would be ridiculous injuries on the two. Yeah. He would be charged with crimes. Yeah. So, let's just say this is not a realistic movie. No. No, like it's, it's cartoonish levels of violence. Like, it's like Tom and Jerry, you know, Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote levels of violence. I've seen... Um, I, I think it might have been BuzzFeed or Vanity Fair or someone at some point had like a whole series of like ask an expert and they had a doctor, I think it was an emergency room doctor, um, basically run through the list of injuries that these guys would have sustained. And he pointed out that would have been fatal. That would have been fatal. That would have done this amount of grievous damage to this person's spine. That would have caved in his face. Blah, blah, blah. It's crazy stuff because there's some pretty banana stuff that happens in this movie. Oh, God, yes. For being a 10-year-old boy, uh, Kevin McAllister is pretty clever when it comes to doling out pain and punishment to Harry and Marv in this movie. Yeah. Like, it is not just one booby trap. Every room in the house has a booby trap going on to it. Yeah. Some, in some cases, multiple booby traps. That's true. Like, there's a scene where Joe Pesci's character walks. I love Joe Pesci, by the way. Big Joe Pesci fan. I think I, I've never seen a role that he's been in that I haven't enjoyed. Even Gone Fishing? I actually don't know if I remember seeing that movie or not. All right, then. Interesting. Yeah, so maybe not Gone Fishing, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, he 
There's one scene where he walks through, I think it was the kitchen door. He basically gets a blowtorch to his head. Which also, by the way, <laughs> led to one of my other favorite YouTube videos. That's like a super old YouTube video at this point. Just, just do a YouTube search for Joe Pesci with his head on fire. And it's, it's about a two minute long video. Worth your time. I've Absolutely. Seen it, I've seen it several times over the years as, as Mike the Legend. Um, it's worth your time. Yeah. But yeah, he, he gets hit with a blowtorch and then kind of, I think, walks into a bunch of marbles, falls over, then like a big thing of scalding water, I think, falls on him. And then I think he gets up and then is like, it, it's a, basically a scene where like five or six things just happen to him in very short succession. No, he tries, sorry, he tries going through the back door, gets the uh, blowtorch, kind of runs, dips his head in the snow because he looked like a, a human candle. Right. And uh, then it goes around to the front door. Uh, Kevin put a heating element from the barbecue on the front <laughs> oh, door. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, he wouldn't notice the glowing brass doorknob, yeah. which actually had like a monogram of the... A, like an M for the McAllister household. Yeah. Because they're that level of affluent. Yes. They have a monogram on their doorknob. They're basically one, basically one step short of a butler, a live-in butler for this house. Yeah. Never explained what the parents do to earn all that goddamn income, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, he goes around to the front to, uh, go up the front steps, but even getting up the front steps to the front door, they've been iced down. So he tries three times, finally gets up, then has the, uh, the burn to his hand from the doorknob and the heating element and just slips right down. So he's already suffered severe burns to his head and hand and probably at least a couple sprains, if not fractures from the ice on the steps by the time he gets into the house. And that's before he has the paint can smash his face. Yeah, that's right. So, like, this is a movie, it's an enjoyable movie, but it's all a lead up to the, like, the 20 minutes, uh, section of the burglars getting into the house. Yeah. Which is just like an orgy of cartoon violence. Absolutely. And it's enjoyable every time. Yeah. This movie doesn't get old. No, it, it's ridiculous. Like, it's, it's not, like, it's, it's, it's frozen in a weird not time which I think is the best way to explain some movies like this, where, like, you can't really pin down the time period it's in because, like, there's no real discernible things. Like, there's no real discernible fashion or technology that you see that really makes it seem like it would be stuck in, like, the 80s or, like, the 90s or anything like that. It's Mm -hmm. just sort of, like, it sidesteps all of that by really not really engaging with it in a certain weird way. I, I think that's because so much of it just takes place in the house. And yeah. it's Kevin just kind of dealing with the stuff in the house and Kevin's experience of being home alone. Yeah. And some of these things are just like things that you still have now, like curling irons and, you know, cans of paint and whatever else. Like these are BB guns, BB guns. I mean, like, yeah. You know, maybe less common now, but you'd still see them. Absolutely. Or even just the, the concept of, uh, you know, a young 10 year old kind of letting loose if there's no parents and adults around to, uh, to govern their, their decisions and actions. Cause when he first realizes he's home alone, he just goes apeshit crazy. Yeah. And just running all around the house and whatever else. And then eating way too much ice cream and then watching a, a gangster movie he shouldn't watch that actually was made just for this film. Yeah. Angels with filthy souls. <laughs> Which is one of the fun little details about this movie. Uh, it is 30 years old. You have seen it, no doubt, once, if not twice. I know my sister can basically cite it chapter and verse. She has watched it so many times. Uh, so it's, it's something you will see 
at least once again this holiday season. Fun thing to note, if you have the Netflix service, uh, look up and watch uh, the series Movies That Made Us. Or yep. the movies that made us, they do an episode on Home Alone. Really informative, and you learn a lot about the uh, the series, like Daniel Stern, or learn a lot about this uh, movie, like Daniel Stern, almost didn't play the role of uh, Harry, uh, it, you know, one of the bandits in this movie. Uh, Danny, De- or not David, not Danny DeVito, sorry, Joe Pesci. Uh, anytime he's just saying frickin' fragging, that's really just him compensating for swearing. Yeah, because that- as... <laughs> it's a little bit surprising to think that Joel Pesci is in this children's movie because it, it is kind of a children's movie. A little bit. Um, even though like there's an orgy of cartoon violence, that was still back in the time when, you know, as long as there's no blood and people actually getting hurt, it was fine. Absolutely. You know, like it's like Looney Tunes cartoons are still, you know, were considered fine for children back then. Even though if you look at them now, you're like, holy crap, there's some pretty crazy things happening to some of these characters. But Joe Pesci was kind of known for being a foul. He had a real like potty mouth in generally every other movie he was in. Like, remember he was in Goodfellas and Casino. Absolutely. <laughs> like, like those are movies he was in, I think before this movie, uh, Goodfellas for sure. Like, I think Casino, Goodfe- Casino might've been a couple of years later, but yeah, I think still, Casino was like, he was the guy from Goodfellas, like a psychopath, <laughs> a psychopath mob guy. Like, the, that's his range. Well, it wasn't known for playing uh, gentle, family-friendly characters. The funny comedy guys. Like, I mean, I think after this, like, we ended up seeing him in, like, Lethal Weapon 3 or 2 and 3. 3 more, it was more funny in 3, but mm-hmm. still, like, it's Leo Getz. But it's like, oh, Joe Pesci has comedy chops. So it was like, you know, this and I guess, like, my cousin Vinny and whatnot really kind of set it up. But, Yeah. So, so watch the, uh, Home Alone episode of, uh, the movies that made us on Netflix. Uh, the other interesting thing I learned from, about Home Alone from watching that, the entire interior of the house was a separate set that they constructed in the empty swimming pool of like a high school gymnasium. Huh. I, I shit you not. Uh, it's a really interesting watch, uh, because that way they could actually build a staircase to go with like the, the depth, the change in depth of the pool. Huh. Yeah, the the interior is separate from the exterior of the house. So the exterior you see in all the exterior shots, different house, unrelated to the inside. And also, uh, another interesting touch, in almost every scene of the interior of the house, there's some element of red and green. Because it's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah. You know, green tiles, uh, counter tiles in the kitchen. Kevin's always wearing that red sweater initially. You know, green paint on the walls, uh, red carpet somewhere, red and green, you know, blankets or comforters or something. So, yeah, yep. red and green everywhere. But that interior of the house built specifically for this and then torn down, hmm. which is ridiculous. You would yes. never have any thought or any hint it was, but... Yeah, they point out if you actually, you never actually see the exterior looking through a window of the house. There's always just that white glow coming through a window and the curtains are, you know, slightly drawn or the blinds are slightly drawn. So interesting. Exactly. But Home Alone, you know it. Uh, you probably love it. Unlikely that you hate it. I don't know if I've ever come across anyone in my day who hates it, but, uh, you are sure to be watching it. Uh, at some point in the coming weeks, as we approach the Christmas holiday season, it is 30 years old. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, who played Kevin McAllister in this movie, turned 40 years old this year. So as he said on Twitter, 
now now you feel old for knowing that he's 40 years old. <laughs> yeah. And so take that for what it's worth, but a classic Christmas movie uh, doesn't get old. Because it's, I think, part probably, as you said, it's so cartoonish. Yeah. And so like, much of the film is inside the house. Yeah. It it feels like watching Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Harry and Marv as the Wet Bandits are very much uh, caricatures of robbers. Yeah. From from a cartoon, like yeah. any cartoon. So Home Alone, 30 years old, coming out on November 16th, the sixth day. N- n- not worth your time. It's not a Christmas movie, but it's uh, uh, what, a movie in uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's filmography turning 20 years old. So make of that what you will. Probably not on your Christmas list. Yeah, probably not. No, nor should it be. But uh, uh, that wraps up the Blast from the Past and also wraps up this week's episode of The Arcade. We thank you so much for joining us, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and hope you uh, come away a more informed consumer as you approach your next gen console purchase decision do you go playstation 5 do you go xbox series x or s uh if you go series s understand there are some asterisks uh make the choice that's right for you and also understand it's okay to sit out on the sidelines for the time being nothing wrong with that so uh whatever you do go forward more informed and uh, join us back again next time here on the program. If uh, we miss something, if you uh, are looking for more details about your purchasing decision, you can email us info at the arcade show.com or hit us up through social media. We are on Twitter at the arcade show and on Facebook, facebook.com slash the arcade show. And if you haven't already, what the hell's wrong with you? Take this time, subscribe to our program on iTunes and Google play podcasts. Check links to our pages on both of those platforms can be found on the arcade show.com. So until next time, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>